Welcome to the Books Talk podcast from Lincoln City Libraries. This program was recorded at the Bethany Branch Library on October 13, 2017. Lisa from the Isley Branch Library discusses a selection of historical fiction. I'm Lisa, um, and I am at Isley Library, in case any of you forgot that. Um, so this, I guess some of you had previewed my list, um, and I cheated a little bit, and I'm using my list from, my, I published an e-newsletter called Lisa V's Read-Alikes now. So I changed it a little bit from my former um, format. I was doing a different theme every month, and I thought I'm tired of that, and I'm tired of trying to think up themes. So why don't I do the one thing that most people ask me for most often, which is, what can I read next that's like X? You know, I like this book. What else have you got? So I thought, you know, that would help people out mm-hmm. a lot, I think. And lately, the thing we've been getting, you know, people come in and, and it kind of goes in waves what everybody wants to know about. And recently, it's been the new Can Fall It book that came out, um, A Column of Fire. And I know I heard a few of you say you had read Pillars of the Earth and then the follow-up in the Kingsbridge series, which is World Without End, which I always forget the name of. Um, But I love those books, and I love reading um, historical fiction or nonfiction. And my particular interest is, is British and European history, starting in the Battle of Hastings and going through the Tudor period and into the Re- up to the Reformation. I just think it's so interesting. So I was really happy to see that he's advanced the time period now. And the new one, A Column of Fire, has anyone read it yet? I can't get it, even get my hands on it, actually. So I've been reading synopsis and I've been reading like like little excerpts, but this one's going to take on the period uh, right before Elizabeth Tudor takes the throne while Mary is still on the throne and, and the, the conflict between the, the Protestant and Catholic forces. And what I like about Follett's work is, and we were all talking, I heard you talking about this too, is that he does take people, indiv- you know, the individual people and, and families. So it, mean, it means more. It make, it's more personal and more immediate. And to me, he brings the time periods to life because he, kn- he knows so much about what happened in everybody's everyday life. So I can't wait to read it. And everyone else seems to have read it but me and you, I guess. But I love that I love the time period and that it always focuses on the cathedral at Kingsbridge, which is, of course, a fictional version of several different cathedral towns and I think he he did say it might be Ely that that is but I can't remember which town he but he said yeah I, I kind of had this one particular in mind but it's it's several towns put together it's typical um, so that one is out and it's extremely popular and you'll have to put your name on the hold list to get it just like me but I thought well if you if you like that kind of thing which I know I do uh, there's so many more books that you could read while you're waiting <laughs> to get a hold of that one. And I brought just a few. And I love Bernard Cornwell. I, yeah. I just think he's a wonderful writer. And I started reading his Merlin series um, a long time ago. But this is Agincourt. So this is his take on the great battle um, with Henry V. Um, and 
he he focuses, of course, he chooses um, Nicholas Hook, who he is a wanted man in England, and um, he to go back to England he when he you know he'll be apprehended and, and killed for something that happened in his past, and I'll I'll let you read about that. <laughs> but uh, he is, he has fled to France, where he is a mercenary archer. So he works for whoever will hire him. He's a, a hired gun, <laughs> a hired bow. And uh, yeah, yes, he's a hired killer. Um, hired bow doesn't sound very. No, it really doesn't. doesn't. No, um, but he um, actually meets Henry V himself while in France, and the future King of England asks him to fight for him, and uh, recruits him personally. And so, of course, Cornwall takes you through all of these events that do lead up to the battle. And if you've ever wanted to know more about it, and you know, we all know Shakespeare, the great speech on the battlefield, but um, this is a really good one. And it's a standalone, but I, I like this one. And if you haven't read any Bernard Cornwell, this is a really good one because it does, it is all by itself. So if you don't want to get involved in a series of his, that's a good one to get a filling for his writing. And I'm, I'm gonna cheat here and skip ahead to The Last Kingdom. This one has been made into a mini-series, and it has been airing on um, Netflix, and it is fantastic. What's so it good. The Last Kingdom? This is the, it's called yeah. The Last Kingdom series. It takes place after the initial depredations, after the initial, what do you want to call it, raiding by the Vikings. It focuses on a, a man named Uhtred. I am Uhtred, son of Uhtred. That's how he sounds. Um, he has really good teeth for someone that lived back in the 800s. But, um, and uh, it, it's about his quest to take back his land because um, his father, in, early in the book, his father is killed by Viking raiders who have come ashore after an absence from England. They, they raided, they came ashore and raided, went away and have not been back for many years. But now they're here again and um, Utrecht and his family have, uh, some of his family members have the unfortunate, have the misfortune to meet them as they're coming ashore. And um, they're killed in a, in a battle, not much of a battle actually. And so Utrecht is left uh, fatherless and his land is taken from him. And so he is actually the Earl, he's Utrecht of, of, Utrecht of Bemmelberg. And he, um, he wants to take back his land, that is his quest. And he'll do, any, uh, Bebenberg, Utrecht of Bebenberg. He'll do anything to, to get it back. And uh, in the meantime though, the, the Viking raids become more and more uh, severe and, and more and more dangerous. There, um, lots of people are being killed. And uh, the kings of the, king, the small kingdoms of, of Britain at the time, Mercia and, and Northumbria, they want to appease the Vikings. That's what they keep doing, giving them land just kind of pacifying them but it doesn't work and and so as things become more and more they actually eventually take Paris and they are making inroads all over the England and into Europe Ireland um, and this is about the rise of Alfred the Great so it's all about Utrecht and his quest and then Alfred the Great who unites the kingdoms I gave away the ending oh darn. spoiler Spoiler, he, he does unite the small kingdoms of Britain to uh, repel a lot of the Vikings, although a lot of them stay, but 
that's that's for you to find out. Um, and then this one I is really good, and I read it a long time ago, and it, it's part of a series. It's the first one, but this is called Dissolution, and it's by C.J. Sansom, and the first in the um, Matthew Shardlake series. It's about a, a lawyer who works for uh, Cromwell. Oh. And he is, uh, he's torn. He's, he is uh, internally, has a lot of internal conflict because um, he, he has sympathy for the true believers in the, in the Catholic faith, in the traditional faith. He, he knows that there are good people who have this belief, but Cromwell believes that, that no one does, that everyone who holds papist beliefs is by their very nature evil and, and deserves to die. You know, that's just his, that is his belief and that he is implacable. We know this, of course, if you're familiar with his work. But so this takes place at, after the initial dissolution of the first small monasteries that Henry VIII allowed Cromwell and his, his cronies to, to go after. A lot of people don't realize that after that first um, wave of, of dissolution of those small, relatively powerless monasteries, there was a big uprising, and about 20,000 people rebelled against what they were trying to do, and more were coming before it was crushed. So this is taking place at a time when Henry VIII is, is scared of what's happening, the potential of what's happening to topple him from the throne. Cromwell is going forward with his plan. He is completely convinced that he's right and does not want to slow down. And then we have Matthew Shardlake, who's in the middle, who can see both sides he, and, and, and really feels that his, his master has gone, Lord Cromwell has gone too far and that, that he needs to temper what he's doing with mercy. So it sounds like we need to charge like today. Yes, he's a, and I love him. He is a, he is a hunchback, as oh. they call him, in that he has a crooked spine and so one shoulder is higher than the other. So he's, he's kind of an outsider in his own society and he begins to solve, you know, he solves murders. There, it is a mystery. So against that whole backdrop, there is, there is a murder at a small monastery that he is sent to investigate. Can we take any of these? Absolutely, books? yeah. And I have two copies of this. I have another one. And, but that's the very first one in the series, and it's, it's very good. And I, it's not a, um, there was Wolf Hall, of course. I don't know if you all yeah. read that. Okay. So, but it is a time period that, and bringing up the second one, bringing up the bodies, which is not necessarily a time period, though, that's written that much about at all. And it is so instrumental in understanding wh the, what came after it in European history and world history. It's a, it's a big deal. So I think that is a really kind of a good way to, to get more information about the time period and what it was really like to live. It was not a, a fun time to be Catholic, or, or but prior to that, it was not a fun time to be Protestant. It's, and he does a really good job of, of bringing it to life. And if, I don't know if any of you have read any of yeah. Edward Rutherford's books. Yes, <laughs> so, I've read it. It's what we call a doorstop. He is, I think is, he's the British James Michener, maybe, yeah. Yeah. shall we say? Oh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be, isn't that, wouldn't yeah. you say? Yes. That's a good, yeah. And uh, I love to read his books, 
but I've read several and but it is a major undertaking. I think they're even longer than the Kindle it books. Yeah. <laughs> I call those Kindle books. Yes. Because the Kindle never gets any heavier. That's right. And I, I'm sorry, I can't hold those books and read them anymore. There you go. And I think I would recommend that if, yes. you, if you enjoy, if you want to tackle this. But it's just Sarum, the novel of England. And, and it starts during the, the stone, yeah. stone Age and goes all the way, you know, forward in time. And I don't even remember where they end through the black. I know they go back to World War II. Yeah. Yeah, they go all the way to. So. It's a lot. It's a lot of history. He did London. Yeah. He did London. He, he did, I think he did Ireland. Yes. Yes? That's Which one. Is, I read that yes, one. That's really good. The Illuminator by uh, Brenda Rickman Ventries. We don't have uh, a print copy right now in the system. I'm going to have them order more. But we do have it um, as a downloadable audio and ebook. Again, it deals with since so much of what happens in Pillars of the, of the Earth, the series focuses on the religious conflict, as everything did in society at that time. Um, this one is particularly uh, interesting because it tells the story of a woman who her father publishes, he's a publisher, he's a printer, and, and by day out in the open he, he prints pretty innocuous things. But um, in secret, he is printing the Bible in English. And at the time, of course, that this is happening, because it's, it's, it's 14th century England, and you can be, yeah, yes. burned at stake and all of your goods seized. At, at, um, so it's treason yeah. um, heresy. and heresy, all of that rolled in one. Well, it isn't treason yet. That comes later. But it's heresy, and so he's taking a huge risk. And she is an illuminator. She works to illuminate the manuscripts that are to illuminate the printing. She goes in and colors. She does illumination of manuscripts. She does also works on printed work. So that's how she kind of ties into it. But it's it's everything through her, her viewpoint. Um, and of course there is a romance involved that puts people in jeopardy. <laughs> that's, you know, kind of pits two sides against the other. But it's it's very good. It's been a while since I read it, but I remember it, really, really liking it. And so again, it's it's kind of right before the Reformation happens. It gives you some ideas of what's coming and why. If you're curious as to, you know, kind of the early stirrings of Pro the Protestant Reformation in, in England, it's it's a good view of that. Again, something doesn't get written about that much, but is really pivotal through a woman's eyes too, which I think is. It's kind of, kind of different. We don't hear a lot from women, women's voices of that time. And then you can't, you can't have anything about the Middle Ages without the Knights Templar, <laughs> or Knights Templar, if you really. Jim would correct me. I think it's Knights Templar. Um, he would, I'm sure. Um, but I say Templar. But this is one of the novels I brought. This is in a series by Jack White. And this one, I've got two, I gotta figure it out. And they're called the Camulod Chronicles. And this is the first one, it's a trilogy. It starts with the, the beginning of, of the order. I, and I really, I love, this is so interesting. Um, it starts out with this young man coming uh, to his uncle's castle and he, he's been summoned to take vows. 
he's going to take some kind of mysterious vows and he doesn't really understand what they're all about. He's already been elevated to knighthood. He did that ceremony and he understands. And this is called Knights of the Black and White. But he's really, it's kind of mysterious why he's been called here and what he's going to be doing because they haven't told him anything. And um, his kind of patron, his godfather, who is Sir Hugh St. Clair, I'm sorry, I, again with the names, Lord St. Clair is his godfather and he's very powerful. And so he is there as well. So Hugh is just like, what is happening? I don't know anything about this. Um, but he goes along with it and finds himself taking vows to go to the Holy Land on crusade and has sworn himself to be what becomes, drafted. yes, <laughs> what becomes a, a knight, a knight of the temple and uh, one of the Knights Templars. So he is told through Hugh's viewpoint and he, uh, about his training and, and all of the rites of, of um, initiation. And then we travel with him to the Holy Land and you get to see, so this is the first one. But if you've ever been curious about it, and I just, it's a fascinating, again, fascinating time of history. But to understand the concept of the Crusades and why, you know, um, and certainly they figure in, in Follett's novels in several places. He does mention people are on crusade and, and et cetera. And, and a lot of the um, influences that came to, into play on cathedral building, meant much of the, the decorative work and some of the, you know, the arching and things like that were, were things that were seen in the Holy Land. So they did have an influence stylistically. But I like this series because it it's more about the people and, and the actual kind of what they would experience then, the mystical, you know, the, the, a lot of theories about what happened to them. And the, I, <laughs> this is just more of a historically accurate. Not that there's anything wrong with Dan Brown, but it's, I'm sure it's lots of fun. But this is, if you're curious about what it would have been like to, to be. So you think his research is very I think his research is very good, very, very good. He's, and I, I like Hugh, I like the, the character. He's, he's a very likable young man with a, just a lot of human, very human qualities. This is going back much earlier, um, even before the first book in Follett's series. But it's important, again, to understand what was happening um, in British history. You, you really can't comprehend it unless you know something about Eleanor of Aquitaine and Henry Aquitaine here in Nebraska. We say Aquitaine. And that was a good movie with Catherine Yes, Pepper. yes, The Lion in Winter. And I, and I can't help but think, I couldn't help but think about that while I was reading this, and yeah. you will too. But if you, if you did nothing but study the lives of this family, you know, if that was all the historical reading you ever did, it would take you years, your whole life, because I still can't get my head around these people. This is the family of Richard the Lionheart, who, the eventual Richard the Lionheart, um, and he is the son of Henry II and Eleanor of Aquitaine. And um, she is very powerful when she marries Henry. She is almost a queen in her own right and is used to wielding power. And had she, the, uh, historians have always said, had she been born a man at that time, she would have been one of the great men of her age. Um, but as it is, as a woman, she can only wield power behind the scenes through her children, through the, her followers, you know, and her manipulation, and her manipulation <laughs> which she's a master of. Yes. And, 
And then, of course, she rebels against her husband <laughs> and gets put in, in basically house arrest for the rest, the rest of his life. Children, her children are called like the devil's cubs, the devil's get. The, there's a lot of different names for them, but they are considered, you know, they're always fighting each other. They're always fighting their parents. They, they're always rebelling and plotting to overthrow their father, the king, and the devil's brood. And they're they are very powerful and very wealthy. So when the when the book starts, you know, we kind of find out that Eleanor and Henry had many children, many of whom were were male. And Henry always said he had a surfeit of sons, and um, that's why King John, or eventually John, who who um, challenges Richard. To, you've seen Robin Hood. You've seen the Disney cartoon. Yeah or Red Robin Hood, of course, these are these people. But when Richard is away on crusade, John tries to take the throne, and he's called John Lackland, because his father, by the time he was born, his father would joke, you know, I have no land left to give you, because I have so many sons, they took it all. And this is not true, he did, he was quite well off, but that was the family nickname for him which can kind of tell you a lot about the, the relationship between the, the parents and children. But this is just about Richard, and it kind of focuses on the, the things he did you know, in, his, in his own life while he was away, um, how he earned his, his name, but it's again set against the backdrop of, of all of this family turmoil and drama. And I, I just can't get enough of reading about these people. And I, of course, it's interesting to me that Henry um, commissioned the Eleanor crosses for her. Do you know about those? I don't know if there are hard, any left in England. But after her death, there was a, like a progress through England, and, and everywhere it would stop with her body. Everywhere they stopped, um, there, they would set up this, this elaborate carved cross to commemorate that her body rested there. So I think her family, after her death, <laughs> kind of a little too little, too late. But they they tried to, I guess, make amends after she died. But they, I think there are still a couple of them standing that you can still see. But I, that always captured my imagination when I was younger and would read about this, the Eleanor crosses. Guilty conscience. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. I'm trying to get through these quickly. And I read this one quite a while ago, too, Mistress of the Art of Death. And again, this takes place in the, in the time of Henry II. Oh. It features, it's Adelia. She's the, um, she is an expert, an anatomy expert from Italy. She has studied at the University of Salerno. Um, and she is very rare, a very rare specimen for her time, a woman physician, essentially. Um, she is not permitted to practice because she is a woman. Yeah. In England or in Italy, she she was you know renowned and and in the university towns at least um, because medicine has ed, medicine has advanced quite a bit further there than so she was able to practice. In Italy. She was able to okay. study and yeah, to be public with I her her work. Yes, and I then yeah. but she she ends up in England and I can't remember how, but um, she comes to work for Henry II for his court, and she becomes, um, well, she's basically a, a forensic detective uh, is what she ends up doing. But because of her knowledge of anatomy and 
um, of dissection, she is sent when there is a, a mysterious body found or, or something that touches the royal family or royal interest that needs to be investigated. Um, and so when it starts out, there is a, a murder in the Jewish quarter of London, and she is sent to investigate. And of course, they want it, you know, everyone just wants it to be an internal matter that one, one Jew killed another, um, but it turns into something more. So this series, well, not the, just the series, but this in, first book in the series talks about yet another aspect of life at that time, which was how Jewish people lived, which was you know pretty scary to be. The only thing I think scarier than being on the wrong side, religious side in the Christian sense was to be Jewish because they were, there were often, you know, well, they were blamed. They killed Christ. Yes, of course. <laughs> and just like the rest, just like the rest of Europe, they are persecuted frequently in England, and both legally and and physically. But I like her as a character because she is unusual. Is that a series? Yes, it's a well, series. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I'm not sure if I've read this. Yes, yeah, yeah. There, there are that, others, but yeah. she, it's. She, that's her title, is Mistress of the Art yeah, of Death. Because this says that's, 2007. Yeah, so this is, sure I've read this is the first one in the series. Oh, okay. And her name, yeah, Ariana, or no, wait, Ariana is the author. That's why I get confused. Adelia is, is the character, <laughs> but I always call her Ariana. But I liked, I liked it because it's also a mystery, and I learned a lot from that one. But it is, I will say, if you, if you don't like anatomical detail <laughs> it's not a good one because they they and but it also talks a lot about the state of of medical science such as it was at the time and, and the superstitions that most people had and then yeah. how people are trying so hard at the same time to, in in isolated centers to actually have knowledge real knowledge of the human body and the next one you might wonder how it fits in since it doesn't take place in the, that far in the past, but this is also a series, and the first in a series, and it's Penny Vincenzi. Has anyone read anything by her? She's really, really good. Um, but this is No Angel. It takes place before the first, right before the First World War, is when it opens. And one of the reasons people like the Follett books is because they're a family saga. And so I have some people that come and say, I say to them, well, if you want to read something kind of like um, Pillars of the Earth, what, what is it you like about it? And instead of saying, oh, I really love that it takes place in the past, I really like the time period, I, they say, I like that it's about this family, these families, and that we get to follow them throughout through time. I really like that. So I did include a couple of, of books or series on here that, that use that model, um, and this this is about a publishing family, the Lytton Publishing House, and how it starts. And in this book, we meet Oliver and Celia Lytton um, as they're getting married. And um, she is marrying, Celia is marrying Oliver against her family's wishes. She's from a very, very prominent aristocratic British family that goes back to the, that incidentally goes back to the Reformation. They, they got their land in the dissolution of the monasteries, is kind of what it implies. So it kind of ties in with the other so books. Is this a true family or? It, it's, it's a fiction, it's actually a fictionalized family, but it could very well be any of the big British publishing families. Okay. But we meet them on the day of their wedding, Celia and Oliver, 
Celia is expecting, <laughs> um, and it was deliberate. <laughs> she she admits right away in the book that she did this so she could marry Oliver, um, because her parents were very much against the match. But they do love each other, um, and they're very well suited. And even though everyone she knows says he'll he'll never amount to anything, um, she believes in him, and so uh, they begin their life together and start working toward having their the publishing house that it becomes the subject of, of the next couple novels. But of course, in the midst of all this, it starts in 1904. Um, so in the midst of all this, we run into World War I. And this kind of leads up to it, and it's just the effect that it has on the family. So kind of a little Downton Abbey element to this. Um, and I like the way she writes, because even though she's writing about kind of British society and the different layers of British society. It's not overly formal. She writes a little, she's compared to um, Evelyn Waugh. Oh. You know how he wrote Brideshead Revisited. Like he's, I always felt like when you read Evelyn Waugh, if you have read him, it's like you're sitting down with a gossipy friend, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, and they're telling you all of this yeah. gossip. But that's kind of how she writes, is, is like these people are talking to you. And, and so it's not... I think it's not overly embellished, and and she brings but she brings the time period to life. I really love her. Yeah, it does have a Downton feeling to it. So if you kind of miss your Downton Abbey, this is a good series too. But but again, very historical, and and she's good at writing about what's going on, the events around them, and there's some romance. And, look, it is a family saga. Um, and so it sounds like almost everyone has read The Name of the Rose. Have you all read this? Have you read this? See, she mm. hasn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> She's too young. She's yeah, too I have not. I, I love this book, and I read it a long time ago, like most people. It features William of Baskerville, who is a monk, and he eventually becomes uh, part of the a character in some of Umberto Eco's future books. Not all of which are necessary. I don't think they are all complete, total sequels to this, but they feature no. the same character. Um, but this is the original, and it's, it's all about uh, murder at a, an, a monastery. And um, William Baskerville has a young monk that is his kind of assistant, paid sidekick uh, that he's taking with him. And they go to uh, this monastery to investigate what is going on there. And it turns into a kind of a crazy bloodbath. <laughs> there's 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 a murderer loose in the monastery, and that's just a very basic dis description of what's happening. Because what's what's really happening is the the what's motivating this murderer is not like anything you usually see as a motivation. I can't tell you that much without giving away the ending. But they are motivated by uh, something very esoteric. By, by a very kind of intellectual purpose. But it's, it's, it's worth reading just to kind of see how Echo works that out. But you, in the meantime, you learn about a lot about um, medieval life and uh, what it's like to live in a monastery. It's cold. I just remember it's very, very cold <laughs> all the time. Um, and dark, very dark. And the habits are scratchy. That's, I just remember. I just remember. This is really, really fun. I just—he's so good at evoking like the sensation that I just found myself going. Ah, 
because they all wear you know burlap basically. Um, but it's it well, is. We've romanticized it. We have so much. Yes. And yes. it was dirty and dirty, buggy filthy, and, and you were covered in lice all the time. Yes, and, and life was cheap. I mean, it really was not a romantic time. Not but at all. We have romanticized. We have, and and I love that he, they put this picture on the cover because it kind of shows all these people that might be in a medieval tapestry, but these are like the the upper crust. Like, oh, yeah. These people are entirely too clean to be, you know, sort of a lot of the characters in this book. But it, it really goes into monastic life, and there's more to it than that. You know, there's a lot going on. It's such, it's a classic. Really, really, okay. really good. Well, I'm getting to the bottom here. Oh, yes. Well, I, I don't know. Is there anyone that hasn't read Brother Cadfile <laughs> or watched Brother Cadfile? This is the, I had to remember which which one is this because I've I've yeah, read them uh, all, but this is the very first one, the Morbid Taste of Bones, and I love to recommend this to people because you know it's it goes really nicely with the Fallout series, and I think Brother Cadfile is is just one of my favorite. He's one of my top ten favorite sleuths. Mm-hmm. You know, you just wouldn't you just want to go and have a conversation with him because he's so. He's so measured, and he's surrounded by all of these. Well, there's also a book in the library, and I've taken it out, and the Ellis Peters showed the areas that she wrote about oh, Cadfile I, I in England. I haven't there seen that. pictures. There are photographs. Oh, of, is it Brother Cadfile's England? Is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah, I think it is. I, you know, and I did see that. It's just delightful. If you like the series, it kind of puts you where it all happened. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, I see I everyone. He's part of, of our lives. He's been part of our lives forever. <laughs> and and I, what I love about this is the one. It doesn't even matter what goes on in the book, really, because the characters recur in every book. Mm-hmm. And it's really more these mysteries are really more about the dynamics, the human dynamics between the characters, and how Brother Cadfell is always the voice of reason, and he's always surrounded by, on the one side, very superstitious people who are very zealous you know, in their religion. He's also got people who are only in it for the political intrigue and don't care and have no faith at all. And then and then you've got just the, the busy body monks that, you know, are, are getting in his way. And sometimes that's all the same person. But <laughs> but this is the one where he they the monastery that he is attached to has acquired the bones of a saint. Um, the relics of a saint. And so they need to translate it which means to move it, I don't know if you translate means to, you move it from where it is to another site and then there are rituals that go along with this, very specific rituals that should, that need to be performed along the way. So they have to send someone, you know, that they can trust, they have to send a delegation um, from the monastery to bring the bones back. And so everywhere he goes, of course, there is a murder or two or three because he is a detective, <laughs> but <laughs> of course. And, and it wouldn't have been out of the question at this time for there to be quite a few dead bodies just randomly lying around because, as you said, life was cheap. So I find it less hard to explain in these books than, at, say, Jessica Fletcher, which everywhere she goes, mm-hmm. someone is dead, murder she wrote. And why do, why do they just not stop inviting her places? Yeah. <laughs> and then no one would... I wouldn't. I wouldn't have her to my house because someone would. There would be yes, a box. Yes. Good thought. Why? Why does anyone ever invite her anywhere? But Brother Cadfell always seems to stumble across some sort of. 
Um, has anyone read this yeah. one? <laughs> yeah. I've read most of hers. Do you, did you like it? Uh, yes, but. <laughs> I, maybe yeah. you could talk about it. And I like well, it. Well, you know, it's, it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try again and see now what happens. You know, it, uh, she keeps getting reborn. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and, and things work what, what out, and life's kind of like, well, no, I don't like that ending, so I'm going to go back and oh. change it again. And it's, it's Kate Atkinson. This yeah. is the way she This writes. is the way she writes. You know. And, and again, the reason I included this is because it, it, it has to do with a family story. Yeah, it does give you and it follows World War One. Yes, yeah. multiple generations of the same family. And actually the same person <laughs> keeps showing up. Um, but it, it is, a, I guess, it's a little bit like the time traveler's wife in a way. Was it as depressing? No, no, it's not. I wouldn't say that it's depressing. No, it's, it's so hard. It's hard to describe. You just have to kind of suspend your disbelief being... Sequential, and, yes, yeah, rational, and sequential. Die, die. That's okay, like that the in the same it. way. Yes, just time travel yes. Life. Okay, yes, she's using birth and death and rebirth as you know a metaphor, yeah. right? Well, and part of this <laughs> is can you change history? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I was yes. gonna history. So it's about, and you hope she can, and, yes, yeah. <laughs> that's what's so. The, the, the she that we're talking about is Ursula, Ursula Todd. And when we first meet her, she is being born. Well, when we first meet her, she is trying to change history by assassinating someone. I won't tell you who. Then we meet her again as an infant that is being born as a baby who, de who then immediately dies. <laughs> and you think, well, that's an interesting way to start a novel. It's a short story. <laughs> it's a short story. <laughs> You've killed off the main character when she was a baby. But then we, we go next to another scene where she's born yet again and this time she survives but she doesn't <laughs> always survive yeah. so she keeps getting kind of dying and re being reborn throughout the, the book and so you kind of read along to wonder why is this happening to her who is she that she's this is happening to her and what what is her purpose and and she you know we find out that she's trying to change history she's trying to affect the events of history, and I don't want to, it's a hard one, again, to talk about, because you don't want to yeah, give a lot is, away, and you have to read it, you have to read it, <laughs> and I, us, there. I usually don't include those books in my, in my talks, but I love this one, because in a weird way, it, it embodies the things people like about the, the follow-up books, and that it's kind of a, it's condensed, you know, it, it is a family story, and it's about the passage of time and history, um, and historic events, but it's just a completely different take on it. It's it's really really good. It's and really it's entertaining, British. and it's very <laughs> British. It's very very British. It's, it's only the Brits can write those kind of things. I think. I think. The, yes, I agree. The character, the character, what characterizes sort of contemporary British fiction like this for me is is that they're so good at describing these outrageous kind of not outrageous. Well, yes, these these very fanciful plot lines, then they just describe them in the most mundane way 
like what they had for tea and and that they had they did the ironing you know and then and then they traveled through time stay calm yeah. <laughs> <Stay> call, carry on <laughs> be reborn be die and be reborn infinitely and carry on carry on but it is really good if you haven't read it it's i i really liked it even though again i'm still it's made me wonder but it's one of these books, you know, so often I read a book and I like it, but a month later I couldn't tell you what it was about. Right. So, except that, yeah, I enjoyed it. This one, I still yeah, yes, remember it. Yes, it's definitely yeah. not. It, it made oh, an impression. I just yeah. read, has anyone read The Lost Girls? I saw it, but. And I can't, and now I can't remember the author's name. Like I said, names, not my thing. Um, that is one of those books that absolutely, I am still thinking about that book. I can't remember it long now. Oh, I recommend reading or listening to it. The Lost Girls, and it's, but it's about a family who goes to a lake every year for the summer, and it's it's in like it takes place in like the 30s, late 20s, early 30s, and they go to the lake every year in I think it's Minnesota, and uh, one year there's three sisters, mom, dad. Oh, so Yes, and one year the they're up there and the littlest girl disappears, and and then the family stays there. The women in the family end up staying there. It was so good. Wow. What a book. And I also, another thing that fascinates me is the whole black plague. This one is, again, part of a, a series. And, and it features um, Oswald DeLacy, who is a reluctant lord of the manor. He, he's lord of the manor at Somersole Manor. And it starts out in 1350. And um, he did not want to be lord of the manor. He was actually in, destined for... The, he was the third son, so yeah. he was given to the church because the first son was the heir, the second son was uh, given to the military, and then the third, the, he was your you know fighter, and then the third was always given to the church, whether he wanted to or not. Um, but Oswald actually liked this. He, he fit in at the monastery. He sent there at the age of seven, and he really wanted to stay there. He wanted to learn. He liked the quiet life. He never saw himself doing anything else until his father and two brothers are killed. And so he goes back, he has, has to go back and take over as Lord of the Manor, and he's, he's rather ill-suited to it. He's not, so that's a part of these books, is that you're, he, it's just the dissonance between his personality and what he is expected to do. It's like Edith, you know, versus Mary in Downton Abbey. <laughs> you know, it's kind of that. So against this backdrop of kind of this family turmoil, um, the mysteries kind of, he solves mysteries, but they start with the kind of the very beginnings of the plague. So how it comes to England and how they begin to see um, what's happening around them and realize the, the enormity of it. And I think it's interesting that, that the author S.T. Sykes would choose to put like a a detective <laughs> against this backdrop where you have so much death but it's just kind of it also deals with kind of the aftermath of, of plague and what it, society was like afterwards and it's it's a good series I really like it and a, a very unusual time period to write about mm -hmm. very unusual character to, to pull somebody out of the monastery and throw him back into Usually we read it the opposite way, where they were a military yeah. man and they went into Exile too. and they went into the monastery. But it's I really like the series, and if you did like Catfell, this is just a little bit kind of very similar. But um, he's a really good. I love this character. I love his voice. 
That's not the first. That's the first one, Plague Land. Um, I'll just really, really fast. I have some nonfiction too, if you are interested. The Time Traveler's Guide to Medieval England. These are so fun. And we have some of this series on Hoopla and on Overdrive, if you want to listen. And I'm, I'm listening to the Time Traveler's Guide to Restoration Britain right now, and it's really good. Mm. Speaking of itching because you have lice. And yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is, like, is this nonfiction? This is nonfiction, and this is a day in a medieval city. Oh, gosh. And it's just filthy. Yeah, really dirty and smelly. <laughs> but pretty. There's a lot of beautiful cathedrals, tapestries. Well, it's amazing that the, the environment that some of those gorgeous things were built. Yes. It certainly wasn't pretty. No. <laughs> it's. And I guess the... the it, if you're that living in that ugly, you want pretty. Yes. So you work well, very you hard. Couldn't to you couldn't afford it. Yeah. No, but as a collective effort, you but could create, create something it, beautiful. Guess, then. then this is the last one, and it's. I don't. I know. No one will probably want to read this, but me. But <laughs> this is a kind of a a reprinting and a commentary on um, the the Tratula. and when I talked about. Salerno, where um, yeah. the Mistress of the Art of Death studied. This is actually a book that she might have read. Um, oh. The Tratula was the handbook of its time um, for the treatment of women's me medical conditions. Oh. So it's just a translation of um, medieval women's medicine and all the different things that uh, they would, and it's awful. No, no, but some of them, some of them are really appalling to us, to our sensibilities today. But some of them are things that we would still do. And some of them you can see, like here's to whiten your teeth. Uh, take burnt white marble and burnt <laughs> date pits and some white natron, which is like a salt, a mineral salt, a red tile, <laughs> terracotta tile, salt and pumice. Pumice. There you go. <laughs> Make powder and uh, Take some wool, wrap linen cloth around it, dab it in the powder, and clean it. So <laughs> that's that's a lot of that's a lot of work to go through, but it just talks about all the things you would you might be treated with um, if you were living at that time in that place. And but this, but again, this was considered the ultimate, the final word, the most modern treatise of for of women's medicine at the time. I just thought that fit in really well. And aren't we all glad that the, the civilization made that much progress? <laughs> yes. I'm. Things like, one of the great things about reading history, reading books about history, is that it just makes you so grateful to not have lived at that time. Just like, I'm just always thinking, antibiotics, antibiotics, <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm reading most. Well, that's, that's all I've got. Thank you so much. Thank you for we hope you have enjoyed this podcast from Lincoln City Libraries. If you would like to comment on this or any of our podcasts, you can do so by visiting our podcast page at lincolnlibraries.org slash podcasts, where you can also download our podcasting theme music for use as your ringtone. You can become a fan of our podcast by searching for Lincoln City Libraries podcasts on Facebook. Mm -hmm.